welcome to The Car Trade Revisited, a podcast series where we talk about the industry we all love and have running in our blood. I'm Gordon McLeish. I've spent over five decades in the car trade. Coming weeks, I'll try to inform, entertain and hopefully remind you of the things you forgot. Things that make us all caries. So join me on my journey. The industry knew that times were definitely changing and we all had to change our sales process with it. One of the new sales techniques and processes was called the road to a sale. It consists of a series of steps you needed to take to end up with a sale. In my next episode I'll do a separate podcast to cover them in more depth and detail but here's a broad brush stroke of the steps. Step one was the meet and greet. Step 2 was fact-finding. Step 3 was selecting a vehicle. Step 4 was presentation and demonstration. Step 5 was the trial close. Step 6, trade evaluation and the walk around. Step 7 was the write-up. Step 8 was negotiate and close. Step 9 was a proper double close. And step 10 was the delivery. After grasping all of those new sales principles, I just grew with confidence. Let me out them, I'm ready for the onslaught. But Paddos didn't do things all that quickly. I was a cadet and I just had to learn from the ground up. I really was a sort of a sales apprentice. I was given lots of great stuff to do, some were a bit weird. But looking back now, it sort of all makes sense. Ian Linton was the great manager that worked there. He was my first of my many mentors. He would say, hey, listen, learn before you burn, young Gordon, which meant that I had to learn my trade fully before being let loose on the public, I suppose. You learn early in sales that it's easy to accidentally burn a potential sale through inexperience. You just dig yourself a hole and the more you try, the deeper the hole gets. And customers have a sort of a sixth sense They know when you've got no idea what you're doing. Fake it till you make it doesn't really work in the car trade. And in time, other salesmen in the team would burn you out anyway. Ian's job was to coordinate the sales paperwork and to liaise with the workshop and the factory to get the cars that salespeople were selling. And I answered to Ian. As a cadet, I was sort of a facilitator of all things paperwork. I'd constantly be chasing up lazy salesmen who were slack with it, but I mean, they were slack. Orders they forgot to get. So how could you forget to get a customer some? You can. Deposit checks that would go missing and would end up not, you know, illegally or anything. They just ended up wrapped up with some paperwork in their desk drawers. Rego forms, disposal paperwork. Even on some orders, what model and colour the customer ordered. Just omitted. Not even written down. Slack pack of bastards, I used to think. But, you know, you try selling 30-odd cars a month, month in, month out, your paperwork would get a little bit out of control if you're not on top of it, <laughs> which some of them weren't, I'll tell you. But that was um, the process that happened back then. In fact, a lot of salesmen, I used to think, couldn't write. They were good salespeople, but give them a piece of paper and ask them to fill out an order and add it up, and they were like, oh, 
Anyway, Pato's converted Chevrolets and Pontiac cars from uh, left to right-hand drive back then. They had a whole division at our Ringwood facility. A bonus for me was going to the wharf with all the cleaners and the detailers in this little Chevy people carry that they had and driving the left-hand drive cars back to work. Camaros, Chevelles, Pontiac GDOs, huge Pontiac Parisiennes and Chevrolet Impalas. Gee, I'll tell you what, it was a hoot. Then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I would hop in the little Chevy people carry and head off to the MRB, or the Motor Registration Branch. I think it's called Vic Roads today. No computers or internet back then, so just remember, to get a trade-in transferred into our name or a sold used car into the customer's name, you either sent it in by post, which would take weeks, or you went in and waited in line at the MRB and did it all there and then. The little bus was a great idea that Paddo's had. If you got your car serviced by them and worked in the city, you'd need to catch a train. Our solution, that we'd run you into the city in the morning and pick you up in the afternoon to collect your car. No need to travel with the great unwashed minions. The bus left sharply at 8 and dropped people off at Box Hill and Kew and Carlton and the CBD and then in reverse on the way back at 4pm. I'd be dropped off at the MRB with dozens of acquisitions and disposal forms and checks for each of the processes. There you were, brain in neutral, waiting for your company name to be called by the acquisition counter. Then you'd hear the disposal counter call your company name and then the cashier would come on the PA and call out Bill Patterson Motors, uh, Bill Patterson Motors. All this would repeat itself time and time again as each individual car was acquired and disposed of. If you had 20 or 30 to do, it was stressful because the MRB closed at 4 o'clock. Bad luck if you didn't complete the tasks in time. Come back tomorrow. No one cared. Plus, the bus would be outside around 4 and she wouldn't wait if you're tied up inside. Sorry, walk. Then a great thing happened. Bulk transfers for trade only. How good was that? No more trudging from counter to counter for me. Drop it off at 10am, pick it up at 3, guaranteed. It's a good idea for dealerships in the city, but we we're out in the sticks. And the bus wouldn't pick me up till four. So after a while, you got to know everybody there. I'd hand over my big bundle of paperwork to the bulk counter. And off I'd go on the tram down Swanson Street to have lunch with my cousin Irene. We used to go to the Coles Cafeteria in Burke Street. Remember that? What a joint. That was, you'd get a whole meal for about one and threepence. But on other occasions, well, most times really, I go to one of those one-hour picture theatres in Swanson Street. You know the ones downstairs. I grab a, bo- a bag of popcorn and watch a stick flick. Uh, I just love Tuesdays and Thursdays. The busiest days were Mondays and Fridays back then. Mondays were Ian and I sort were for Ian and I sorting out the paperwork. We'd source the cars from the holding yard, or we'd get them from the factory at Dandenong. And of course, we'd have to chase up and chase up and chase up paperwork. God help us if the salesman was a footy player, because if he pulled a hammy over the weekend, that'd be a nightmare. But Friday was madness on steroids. Everyone wanted their car on either Friday night or Saturday morning. Registering cars on a Friday, or any day for that matter, was a full-blown operation. Unlike today, where the cars are registered at the dealership, back then every single car had to be taken to the MRB. But because we were out in the sticks, we had to take our cars to the Ringwood Police Station to be sighted. 
you know, check the engine numbers, check the chassis numbers, have it all confirmed, sign off the paperwork, and then they'd issue a set of number plates. The car was then registered. If you're registering 20 or 30 cars, it was a logistical nightmare. But then I think about it now, you know, what a great basis, what a great training it was. I drove every make and model, I knew where every bonnet release was, how to tune every radio on every model to rock and roll stations, and how to do paperwork perfectly. I mean, I did learn paperwork perfectly there. And the sales team were fantastic, they were very helpful to that cheeky little smart-ass 18-year-old. They used to call me Young Gordon. I met them at a reunion of ex-employees about 10 or so years back. They still called me Young Gordon. Hello, Young Gordon. I was in my mid-60s. Still remember each of them very fondly. There was, uh, from the bosses down, was Guy Nevitt, who was one of the directors, Ian Ridley, the Newcastle sales manager, Ian Gibson, company secretary, my sort of boss, Ian Linton. There was Bill Tyrrell, I think he was a goal umpire, Adrian Bowman, what a dag he was, he's a funny man, Barry Burke, who was a footballer, Brian Dunstan, very knowledgeable guy, I learned a lot from Brian, Woody Oldfield, what a lovely old guy Woody was, and Bruce McMaster-Smith, an absolute lunatic to be around. It was just so much fun. David Dunn, he played footy for Ringwood and a nice guy, a good salesman. Frank Honan, the wise old man in the New County Department. And then there was Jeff Perry, otherwise known as the ankle tapper. He was the valuer. And Brian Williams, a.k.a. Kipper, which he's a hate being called. He was an English, uh, young English fellow. He was the trainee valuer. Then a position came up in our used car division and the general manager said that I should put my hand up for the job. It'll pay you a little bit more money, he said, and the commissions were a bit more flexible and the sales process is le- re- less rigid too. Sort of the Wild West Frontier style selling compared to new cars, believe me. He also added that I'd get a more rounded sales education and better prospects for promotion if I knew both sides of the sales styles, new and used. No brainer then, I'm in. Wow, what a complete change this move was. It was like being in a Quentin Tarantino movie. And I was loving every minute of it. Selling used cars was like a drug and I was just hooked forever. That's where I met my sales mentors, Frank Woodhouse and Lindsay J. I won't say his surname. The old bull and the very young bull. Frank was the wise old bull while Lindsay was like the mythical young bull. Some said he'd root a rat on the run, whatever that meant. It was like having two extra dads. Frank was old and wise and would pull me up, flick me on the ear if I developed any bad habits. Whereas Lindsay was a role model on, well, not how, but how not to in selling. He had a way with the ladies, did Lindsay, and I never figured it out, really. I remember with horror that Holden had a huge sales event. It was planned, or it was probably in the summertime, it was planned to be themed as the jumbo sale of all jumbo sales. Jumbo as in like huge, like an elephant. So we dressed the car yard up like a circus. And it sort of looked like the circus had come to town because we had pony rides for the kids and sausage sizzle and face paintings and clowns and balloons. No elephants were ever mentioned in the brief from the sales manager. The elephants were sort of my idea. I got an award for it from General Motors. I think I got a, a pen or a set of cufflinks, I think. But the poo that they left behind 
and the trees, they ripped every bloody tree up that we had growing in the used car yard, right out of the ground. And then they landed on all the car yard lighting poles and bent them. Like some of them were like, like unbelievably bent. Um, hundreds of dollars of damage. Who got the blame? I did. Me, it's my fault. I hate elephants now, but we did get a lot of head flow that weekend. There's another guy called Alan. Uh, I won't say his surname. Alan B. He wanted so much to get the gig as a senior salesman, which is sort of like the assistant sales manager's position. The other guys have put shit on him all the time. He'd suggest a certain way the yard should be displayed, and then he would they'd just go and do it the complete opposite way. If he was heading out the office to talk to a customer, they'd page him over the PA system, indicating that he had a sales call. Alan, phone call, office, Alan. So he'd head back in. When he went in to answer the phone, someone would bolt out the office right past him and grab his customer. He just hated it. But the more he complained, the worse it got. He eventually did get a sales manager's gig, but I think it was over at Watson's of Greensboro, if I remember right. I liked him. He's a really great salesman and a really nice person. There were three other guys that I like working with in used cars. One was uh, Tim Steinhaus, and the other John de Croot, and the other one Nick Wrinkle. They're all Dutch by birth. And like me, they migrated to Australia, I think, when they were little kids. One was from Rotterdam, he used to say, and the other one's from Amsterdam. The intercity rivalry between them was unbelievable. Every week... One had a job of bringing in the rochebrot, sort of like a black bread for lunch. It's like a pumpernickel, I suppose, but it's also sort of sweet and sour at the same time. It's served sliced very thinly. Then they butter it and they sprinkle sugar all over it. So I arranged to be the judge on uh, who had the best rochebrot. Also meant a big bonus. I didn't need to uh, buy or bring lunch money for my lunch each week. Or at least once a week. We may have been competitors on the sales ladder, but we were in fact like a band of brothers back then. Automobile sales can be a frustrating career if the person's not trained properly. That's probably the message out of this episode. When training's done by a competent sales trainer, then car sales would be a very rewarding and satisfactory job. But you know, if you're in the car sales business and you don't feel that you're being trained or coached properly, take the initiative. Train yourself. Find a mentor in your own dealership, even if he or she is in management. I mean, they walk the same path as you are right now. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Please rate, review or subscribe to or follow the podcast on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcast from. I'm your host, Gordon McLeish, and thank you for listening.